0: Praise God. It's so good to see you this morning. We're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. And as we've looked at each week, the first three chapters have everything to do with just who God is. And we have literally soared into the heavens as we've looked at who God is, how great God is, how immense His love is for us. And then Paul takes this real shift and tells us, What this means to us and how we live our lives, how we work out this into our lives. I have to confess, I've never made bread. I've never made, I take that back. I did make some bread. I pour some stuff in a bread maker Becky's got, but I never had to put my fingers inside of anything to do that with. So, But I've watched my mother, I've watched Becky, and she needs that stuff and gets it all worked in together and makes a wonderful loaf of bread. God has taken this new life that we've read about in the first three chapters. He's worked something into us, and now Paul is telling us how we work that out. It's the reason that the scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We don't save ourselves. God saves us, but then we live out. We work out what God has worked into us. The Bible has some interesting things to say throughout the scriptures. It tells us that God is light. Now, that's not light like these electric lights or the sun or the stars. God dwells, as one creed says, in inaccessible light. God is light itself. When he created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says he created light and he created darkness. So there is a light that we don't really fully understand and it's the light of God. The Bible describes the world as dark. And in this darkness, the world doesn't comprehend God and the world doesn't really comprehend who you are in Christ and what this all means. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing. There's something about living in Christ and living in his light that changes us. Matter of fact, the Bible describes us as new creations. And I don't know how God does this, but I believe it. The old things have passed away and all things become new. Aren't you grateful for that? A new start, a fresh do-over in life. It's more than a mulligan. It's a fresh, new life that God gives you. In one passage, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and whoever comes to me will not live in darkness or dwell in darkness, but they'll have light everlasting and live in light eternal. That's a key phrase, light eternal. That's different than the light of the sun that will eventually go out. That's the difference than the light of these bulbs that will eventually die. But when Jesus talks to us about this light and living in that light, Pastor Cory read this to you from Ephesians 5, 9. He read these words, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true, the light of God. That's what it produces. You could think of it as fruit. My uncle was a master grassman. He grafted for citrus industries across the southern part of the United States, from California to Florida. He would invite clients to his home. And in one tree, he had seven different types of citrus fruits that were grown off of one tree. You could get an orange, you could get a tangerine, you could get a grapefruit, so forth. Because he grafted each of these branches into one tree you're going to be who you are i'm going to be who i am god has grafted us into the living vine which is jesus christ and so this fruit that he produces the bible describes this fruit as good and right and true light is interesting to me light makes everything visible i'm one of those light sleepers anybody else in here like me or light sleeper It's got to be totally dark in the room if it's not totally dark. I got these things I put over my head I wake up with the most serious looking hair you've ever seen in your life when I sleep with that on But it blocks out all of the light and I can sleep I'm a light sleeper because The darkness just helps me relax And yet the bible says light makes everything visible in the light of God life gets very conspicuous. and the light of God, your issues get very conspicuous. As a matter of fact, when you've been born again and the light of Jesus Christ comes, I'm stopped. Hey, Paul, it's good to see you. Paul used to be one of our drummers, wave it, because so, nobody knows who I'm talking about hardly, but uh, Paul used to be one of our drummers and a doggone good one. It's good to see you, buddy. You're glad to see your dad get baptized this morning, weren't you, pal? Light makes everything conspicuous. It makes you conspicuous. That's the reason that there are times when people will come to you and they'll just simply say, what's different about you? Maybe you and your wife have been in a restaurant together and you're talking and somebody will walk over to you and say, there's just this glow about you. What's different about you? And I'm sure you've had that happen before. Because in the presence of God, in the light of God, you get conspicuous. But when things are dark and when things are shadowed, things are kind of blurred. It's hard to see how things really are. And I've had those moments in Christ. I've had those moments about racism. I've had those moments about loving people. I've had those moments about bitterness. I'm sure you've had some of those moments when you've been prayerfully reading the Bible and then suddenly you go, How come I've never seen that before? How come I never understood that before? I've had those moments of sickness or illness and suddenly as you're reading the Bible, the the Word of God stands out to you in boxcar sized letters and you go, ah, now I get it, now I get it. It's the light making things conspicuous. And before Jesus, there was this darkness And sometimes we've gone and I've heard people here at the church say how did I ever miss this? But when I look at this passage that Corey read to you this morning the most startling thing and the most Intimidating say that word with me intimidating say it again intimidating The most intimidating thing he read was when he said be imitators of God How am I going to imitate God? those of you that know me best you're asking the same question how are you going to imitate god i look at you those of you that i know and i'm not flattering you the bible says that if we flatter somebody we lay a snare for their feet and so i'm not flattering you but i sometimes look at some of you and i go oh that i could be as patient as they are i could be as kind as they are i could be as considered as they are and i realize how much i have to grow and yet the bible is saying dennis Imitate God. And there are some things about God. I know I can never imitate. God is Self-existent and what that means is that God has no origin. God has no beginning. God is uncreated God is self-existent. God is not accountable to anybody. We're all accountable to somebody I'm accountable to my wife, and my family, this congregation. We're accountable to the government. We're accountable to so many people in our lives, but God is accountable to no one. God is self-sufficient. God doesn't depend upon anyone or anything. He has no needs. You and I come and we present our needs to the Lord prayerfully. We're encouraged, we're invited to do so. The Bible tells us, that we're to come boldly, like children, boldly to the throne of grace, that we might find mercy and help in our time of need. God doesn't have a need. God is eternal. God never changes. I look at pictures from 10 years ago, and boy, have I changed. I look at your pictures from 10 years ago, and boy, you have really changed. You see, change happens in our lives but God is changeless. He is eternal, no beginning and no end. And I could go on and on. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's omnipresence, which means he's everywhere. At one time, he's omniscient. He knows everything. God is wholly separate. Wholly separate from this world, this universe, and all the cosmos that he created. God. Majestic in his holiness. Holiness is not something for us to go, oh, that's negative. Holiness is the very beauty and the very power and the love of God. Holiness, as a matter of fact, produces this kind of fruit in you. The Bible describes the fruit of the Holy Spirit as love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self control. I mean, who doesn't want to live a holy life? I mean, now, if you want to start defining holiness in terms of what you like and dislike, then it's going to be negative. But if you want to describe it in terms of who God is, then wow, it's the most wonderful thing in the world. But there are some things about God I can imitate. I can imitate His love. I can imitate His justice. I can imitate His mercy. I can imitate His wisdom his faithfulness and his goodness. I can imitate his compassion, his anger, his tenderness and forgiveness. And when I do these things, when I do these things, I'm showing the world what God is like. Not perfectly, not perfectly. There's a salad I like to eat. As a matter of fact, it's not as good as the real thing, but it only cost about 10% of what the real thing cost. And it's called crab salad. And besides that, crab salad is healthier for you than the real thing. Crab salads made out of red fish. And so it's cheaper. It's good. But once you have crab salad, you know when you're eating imitation crab salad. I mean, don't Make any foolish mistakes, nobody's going to think we're God. Nobody's going to think we're God, but they're going to look at our lives and they're going to say, That's what God must be like kind and merciful, loving, just, tender, and forgiving. And when I think about these things, it truly does humble me. It truly makes me realize what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ. So would you stand with me? We're gonna pray again, and then we're gonna ask God to help us live out and work out what this passage truly means. Lord, we live in a, a violent world. It doesn't seem like there's any place left in America safe anymore. We grieve with the members of the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Lord, for all of those people celebrating the little girl's birthday were gunned down. God, we grieve because of the sin and the violence in our nation. Lord, we grieve over a crazed gunman who also walked this week into a a black church and began gunning people down. Lord, we grieve for all the families who've lost a child. Sometimes, Lord, I ask myself how in all of this pain and grief that a number of years ago when all those children were gunned down in Newtown, every single family, rather than be bitter against you, chose, Lord, to have the funeral of their children, their loved ones inside of a church and they worshiped you. So I'm asking you to help us in the midst of angry rhetoric and violence. God, in the midst of darkness, I'm asking you to come and help us to understand how do we imitate you? How do we become the light? Lord, I ask all of this knowing that you will help us and enable and empower us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Do you remember a little song we used to sing when we were children called, This Little Light of Mine? I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And then we would sing, hide it under a bushel, and we would put our hands over our fingertip like it was a candle, and we'd say, hide it under a bushel, and if you sang it, what did we say? No. no, we didn't do it like that. We went, no! Matter. I'm sorry, I should have told them to silence me. You help me out, I won't holler this time, okay? Hide it under a bushel. No! no. Of course I, we knew the purpose of a light was not to extinguish it or to hide it, but The purpose of our light, we understood that as children, that we were supposed to shine with the love and the light of Jesus. How do we do that? First of all, what Paul says in this chapter is, live a life filled with love. I'm to live my life filled with love. Not hate, not bitterness, not mistrust, not anger, but filled with love. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, I like the way the New American Standard puts this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You're a beloved child of God. God loves you. Don't let that pass you by this morning. Don't let that just kind of skim over your head because we hear it said so often that it no longer has the punch. It no longer has the power. It no longer has the way of moving us. that It wants you to move us. We hear God is love, we see it on t-shirts, we see it on bumper stickers, and we almost yawn anymore. But friends, we need to recognize that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. We are beloved children of God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? You are loved by God. Never, ever, ever let that pass you by. Never lose the majesty of that. Never lose the power of that. Just as you don't want your wife or your children to take your love for granted and yawn about it, but understand how much you love them. Understand how deeply God wants you to know he is passionately in love with you not because he needs you not because he can't exist without you but Christ loves you and the great thing about living this life of love when I think about Jesus and when I think about God and when I think about all he's done for me And I realized, Lord, how am I going to imitate you in your love? The good news is this, is that I don't have to do it on my own power, but the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life enables me to live a life of love. I tried to break this verse out for you. Let's look at it together. Number one, live a life filled with love. I mean, that's the way you want to be known. Wherever you walk, wherever you go, that the love of Christ flows from you. And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, exactly as the Bible says, follow the example of Christ. The more you read the Gospels, the more you reflect upon how Jesus interacted not only with the people who loved him, but with the people who hated him. Not only with the people that were interested in him, but the people who kind of of just took him for granted. Jesus still loved them. He forgave them. He forgave his enemies. He protected those that sometimes religious, self-righteous people wanted to condemn and even kill. God laid it all on the life, and ultimately, he laid it on the life line for you and I by giving himself, the Bible says, as a sacrifice for us and a pleasing aroma to God. And I love it when I can just find it as simply and succinctly put as it is in this passage, not only what I'm supposed to do, but how I'm supposed to do it. Now, here are four things that I want you to take away from that. Number one, you're accepted just like you are. You won't stay like you are because God will make all things new. But I grew up in a generation listening to Billy Graham preach, and I will never forget the song that George Beverly Shea sang so often at a Billy Graham crusade, Just As I Am Without One Plea. I will never forget that song because it means so much to me. I couldn't change myself. I didn't have to try to clean myself up. I didn't have to try to become pleasing to God. God loved me just like I was, but in His love, He doesn't leave me in my sin. He makes all things new. And the second second thing is, you have access. I have access to God the Father. And don't let that pass you by because we take that for granted. When I reflect upon this, I think about Presidents Kennedy and President Lincoln during the Civil War in the United States when the President Lincoln's cabinet would be meeting about some of the most serious, consequential things to the future of this nation. Todd would always play under his desk at his feet. He was always there at his father's side. He never had to knock on the door. The vice president, the cabinet could be in there. But Todd knew that his daddy was the president of the United States, and that he could go into his daddy at any time. We're all familiar with the stories of little John John, John F. Kennedy Jr., playing underneath his father's desk at his feet while his father would be in cabinet meetings because john kennedy wanted his son to know he always had access friends god is the god of this universe don't you ever take it for granted god is never too busy for you can we give him a hand a praise for that this morning as well i mean you always have access to god and then thirdly i'm protected God protects my life. God watches over my life. Sometimes there are things that the Bible says that you just have to really get this into your mind. We sang one of those phrases this morning. We sang about the bride. Well, Jesus refers to the church as his bride, but there's another time that Jesus says, I I would gather you like a a mother hen gathers her brood underneath her wings. And what that means is whenever the mother hen would see a hawk, and I can remember this on the farm so many times when a, a hawk would come close or a predator would come close, that mother hen would gather all those babies. They'd run right. Underneath her, and they would hide underneath her wings, and she would attack you rather than let you get to her little babies. God was willing to go to the ultimate when He went to the cross to die for your sins and my sins. And while I'm talking about that, some of you may be thinking, Well, why did this happen in my life, or why did that happen? Well, we live in a world where God gives people free will gives them the ability to choose. And you really don't want God making all those choices. You really don't want God pulling all those strings and manipulating everything. But what you do want is your freedom to choose and to love and to serve God as God has called you. But never forget, God is sovereign. Whatever comes my way, God allows. We looked at this last week. God is is there. But God is able to take even the worst of things, the most negative things, and to cause them to work for my good. Romans 8 and verse 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. I listened to an atheist and a Christian debating a very popular debate taking place and he said what good could come from the cross? What good could God have thought would have come if there was a God from his son being brutalized, his son being murdered, his son dying as a public spectacle on the cross and he didn't believe in the death and the resurrection of Christ but for those of us who know that God sent his son to die for our sins look around you this morning you are here today because God calls the death of Christ to result in our salvation and we have an eternal hope that will last forever can we give him another hand of praise this morning never never take that for granted sometimes we sin against God and God then disciplines us as children never cruelly never malevolently But He disciplines us as His children. Hebrews 12 and verse 5. This writer of the book of Hebrews is writing about some of the things that are happening and how sometimes when even followers of Christ refuse to repent of their sins, never forget this, In repentance, there is mercy and forgiveness. In rebellion, there will always be discipline. Because God loves you. God will chase you to the lowest parts of hell. God will do whatever it takes to protect you and to save you. One time I bowed up at my dad and I told him I was leaving home. And I never will forget, daddy looked right at me and he says, fella, you can leave home. If I have to go over the whole world, I'll find you, son. I'll hunt you down, I'll find you, and when I find you, I'm gonna hug you, I'm gonna kiss you, I'm gonna love you, and then I'm gonna wear your hide out till your pants won't hold shucks. You know what? I didn't run away from home. <laughs> I knew he loved me, but I also knew he would discipline me. There was never any doubt. I remember one time at 16, and during all the hippie days and all that, and I remember telling Daddy, I said, I just need to find myself. I need to know who I am. And he said, if you ever forget, I'll tell you who you are. He had a really good way of communicating to you. You see, look at this passage. God loves us and he disciplines us. Have you forgotten the encouraging words? Say that word with me. Encouraging. This is not a discouraging word. The encouraging words God spoke to you as his children. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as a child. This is talking about unrepentant sin and he, you endure this divine discipline, remember, God is treating you as his children who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father. And then finally, I have an inheritance. I have an inheritance in Christ. Recently, I got a call from two children who were having a debate with one of their other siblings, and they wanted me to get involved and mediate a inheritance issue that they were having the words of Jesus came real to me and where Jesus talking to two brothers he says I'm not going to get involved in this I don't have time for this and I told him I said here's the best advice I can give you get an attorney y'all work it out together but I pick up a phone again and I call my mom I call my uncles that are still living and, and I tell I remember so well when my grandmother passed away my grandfather had passed away years before and when my grandmother passed away those seven children they were all alive at that time. I was there. I witnessed it. They didn't squabble. They didn't fight. They disposed of things the way it should be done. Things that were not covered in the will. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They gave God thanks for the life and the way that my grandparents had raised them in and, and faith and everything was handled the way it should be and cousins and aunts and uncles to this day are as close as they can be. Friends, hear me this morning. You have an inheritance not to squabble over. You have an inheritance is the children of God that God is going to bless you with and there will come a day in heaven where we will not squabble with one another we will not be envious of one another but I will be so proud of how God has rewarded you and you will be so proud of how God has rewarded me our God is a good heavenly father can you say amen (laughs) hallelujah but to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You're a child of God. Don't ever forget that. You have an inheritance. My oldest son, as I've told you before, is always reminding me about my library. Dad, it's the only thing I want when you die. Dad, it's the only thing I want when you die. Recently thought of something else. He says, Dad has Chris or Ben or Amy asked you about such and such a deal? And I says, no. He goes, well, Dad, I want that too when you die. I said, Andrew, would you forget about the dying thing? (laughs) He goes, well, I'm the oldest. I'm supposed to get double. And I go, no. (laughs) Not unless you're going to come move home and take care of your mama. You see, you are a child of God. Secondly, live according to the will of God. If you're going to live a life filled with love, we're not talking about sloppy love. We're not talking about mushy-gushy love. We're not talking about feely-touchy love, but a love that is lived according according to the will of God. Now, Ephesians 5.10 has something very interesting to say. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Say those two first words with me. Carefully determined. Say it again. Carefully determined. Worship is how you live your life. Worship is not just what happens on this platform, but worship is how you live your life. Worship is serious mental activity. All right, now think about that. Worship is serious mental activity. You're not thoughtless with your marriage, I hope. You're not thoughtless in your parenting, I hope. You're not thoughtless with your health. You're not thoughtless with your finances. You're not thoughtless with your commitment to serve Christ, your ministry. Worship requires us giving our best. And to carefully determine, Paul is not talking about some mystical feeling where you sit there until the Spirit moves you. He's talking about going to the Word of God prayerfully. God, what does this mean? How do I apply this to my life? How do I work out what you've worked in? Remember the kneading of the flour? Remember the, the, what I was talking about, pushing everything in so it can rise in the oven and be baked? God is saying, carefully think about what chapters one, two, and three, where we talked about the greatness of God, the glory of God, the love of God, Jesus, God's plan to send his son to die for our sins. The cross was not an afterthought. The church was not an afterthought. God knew all of this at the beginning of creation. That from the beginning, God says, from the beginning, God had a plan for our life. Now, Paul says, carefully determine how you work this out, how you live this life for Christ. So he says, just say no to certain things. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral and pure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Obviously, this culture that they came out of, these were things that were a part of their culture. And these were things that some were bringing into the church Remember, we'll look, we've looked at Ephesians in the series that we're in on the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights where they had a form of doing things right, but there were things happening that shouldn't have been happening. You see, we live in a world much like that today. This week, I was reading of a mainline church, and I don't mean to throw a rock at other denominations, but sometimes there are things that have to be addressed in this mainline church that is quickly becoming a megachurch on the West Coast. And I know when I say West Coast, we immediately think, well, that's the West Coast. I've lived long enough now that I've seen whatever happened on the West Coast 10 years later is happening on the East Coast. And so in this megachurch, almost a megachurch now as they are proclaimed, churches that reach about 5,000 or more, the pastor is preaching that open marriages, homosexuality, sex with whoever you want, at any time you want, multiple sexual partners, that these are, and I quote, good and holy ways of expressing our love for God. In a confused world, how do you judge these things? Oh, it's easy if you grew up, as I did, in a time where maybe everybody didn't live for Christ, but everybody accepted the word of God as being the rule of faith for life. But now when you're living in a generation in our community where constantly I meet people for three and four generations who've not been in church. Sometimes I meet people who've never even heard the name of Jesus or that you have to be born again to be able to go to heaven. When you live in a generation and suddenly you hear these things are good and holy and pure, like wow, maybe what my professor said in college maybe that special I watched on Discovery Channel, maybe that's true after all. So Paul makes it very clear in a culture that the religion of the Jews would have been totally foreign to them. Paul makes it very clear to them that as Christians, there is to be no sexual immorality. That is sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. There is to be no obscenity. There is to be nothing like that that comes from a Christian's mouth. There is to be no foolish talk, moronic talk, the kind of talk that makes light of things that are holy, the kind of talk that makes light of other people and makes them the butt of their expenses, the coarse jokes that take and tell sexually obscene stories. These are the things that Paul is talking about. And he says, covetousness, this shouldn't even be named among us. The greed... The never satisfying things. The book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, where you can learn to imitate the wisdom of God, it says that covetousness is like a grave that is never satisfied. Instead, he tells us to be forgiving. He tells us we're to forgive one another. As Christ forgave you and I, he tells us that this nature that we have, this new nature we have, listen to me, don't miss this, this new nature that you have is the nature of God. You're not God, but the nature you have is the nature of God. The new nature you have is a nature that wants to do what God does, is forgive. The old nature wants to be bitter. The old nature wants revenge. The old nature is, if you come out there and you scuff up my mascot on the middle of the field, we're going to come out there and we're going to scuff up your mascot on the field. We're going to remember And maybe there is grace for that once in a while. (laughs) I promised myself I would not talk about football today. But did you watch the Georgia-Florida game yesterday? (laughs) Come on, Victory. (laughs) The nature of God is to be not only forgiving, but it's to want to extend that forgiveness. When I work in mental health and the people that I stay in contact with, they've all told me over and over most mental health problems are directly related to unforgiveness. You see, unforgiveness will make you mentally ill, it will make you mentally sick. It will literally eat you alive. That's not just a figure of speech, it will literally eat you alive. John Stott, in his book on confession of sin, Quotes the head of a large mental hospital in England said, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. I've got a great idea for the Republicans and the Democrats. If you want to solve the health care issue, let's preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's not preach the gospel of the Democrats or the GOP. Let's preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If half of the health care problems are due to unforgiveness in our lives, let's teach people they can be forgiven of their sins. And when you know that you have truly been forgiven of your vilest of sins, you can truly forgive others for nobody has ever sinned against you the way we have sinned against God. Well, somebody give the Lord a hand of praise here. You see, forgiveness is not just going, okay, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. Forgiveness is not just overlooking it. If you want to know how seriously God takes sin, let me direct your attention one more time to the cross because God hated sin so much, what it was doing to you, what it was doing to his glory, what it's done to our world, that he was willing to give his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. If God could forgive us, for what had to be done to Christ in order for us to be saved, how could I not extend forgiveness to those who sinned against me? It's why we shake our head and wonder at the stories when we read about a mother forgiving the man who murdered her son, goes to the prison to visit him and love him. It's why we shake our heads and wonder when one of the professors at the Christian college at Becky and I attended was a convicted murderer that somebody evangelized and loved and forgave at Southeastern, it was extended grace and mercy, and lived his life as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. It's why one of the greatest heroes of my life, Bob Elliott, who was a former district youth director of Georgia, taught evangelism at our college. Who and I talked to him one time about the unforgiveness I just couldn't seem to let go of of bullies and things that had happened in my past as a crippled child and teenager. And he talked to me about how great God's love was for me and that I could never compare what somebody else had done to me to what I had done to God. It's not on the outline or on the screen, but as I was praying, I just felt really checked I needed to read this to you. No one is righteous, not even one, no one. No one is truly wise, no one is seeking God. All have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. That's how God sees us in our sin. And yet he loved us anyway. I prayed very deliberately this morning. It doesn't seem like there's any safe place in our beautiful country anymore. Churches, synagogue, schools, hospitals, post offices, nightclubs, random shootings on the street. And yet the violence that we experience is nothing compared to the violence that our neighbors, neighbors south of the border experience. It's nothing compared to what our brothers and sisters in Christ and we'll be praying for the persecuted church next Sunday experience overseas. And if we don't know how to forgive even the vilest of offenders, then we're not being the light God has called us to be. And if we're not forgiving, then we will never be set free ourselves. I could dismiss half the patients if they learned they were forgiven. Forgiven people forgive. And then, if I carefully determine the will of God... I think this is probably one of the most important things I'm going to say this morning is I give eternal love. My wife and my children need to know that I'm going to love them until the day I die. That I'm going to be faithful until the day I die. And that when they get to heaven, I'm going to be there waiting for them. That when they get to heaven, I'm going to be looking for them. You see, that... It's what every child wants to know, is that mom and dad are going to love each other and stay together. That's what every son and daughter need to know, is that mom and dad are always going to be there. God gave us a perfect environment, and even though we marred it by our sins, you've got to agree with me. You've got to agree with me. This world we live in is still a beautiful, beautiful world. The first time I stood on the top of the Grand Canyon and looked into that canyon, I was like, oh, I was like everybody else. I could believe what I was seeing the first time I drove the Rocky Mountain Highway and I got out of my car and decided I was going to run I told Becky you drive I'm going to run about three miles I ran maybe a quarter of a mile I didn't realize there's no air to breathe on top of the Rocky Mountain Highway and she says what happened to you? three miles big guy I said shut up and just slam me in the car you know You know, there are over 50 peaks in Colorado that are over 14,000 feet. That's massive. The first time I stood in some of the most beautiful places like Old Faithful or I climbed Iguazu Falls in Paraguay or the first time I climbed up Mount Kilimanjaro, those places stand out to me. This is a beautiful world that God has given us to. But the only people who can truly appreciate this world without worshiping this world is to realize that this is our father's world he's given us this perfect home as marred as it is by sin we can give to our children a perfect home even though it may be marred by our own failings we can give them a perfect home by giving them an eternal love can you say amen to that this morning it won't be flawless it won't be sinless and your mom and dad are not perfect but it's as close to perfect as you're going to get this side of heaven. It's when you live in a home like that. Well, I need to wrap this up. But I can't, without not really deviating, but trying to illustrate it one more way. Ephesians 5.2 says, live a life of love. If you can skip down to that verse for me. Just as Christ loved us, gave himself for us as a sweet smelling offering and a sacrifice to God. It would be real, real easy for you and me, both, to go through this list of things that God says just say no to and go, well, God's kind of a killjoy. God's not into humor. Oh, God, the Bible's full of humor if you understand Hebrew humor. The Bible says that laughter doeth the heart good like a medicine. As a matter of fact, there's a new form of exercise that I think you ought to consider. It's called laphercise. Say that with me. It's kind of difficult. Laphercise. Say it again. Laughter Now it's not spelled L-L-A-F-F-E-R. That's the southern way of spelling it. It's spelled L-A-U-G-H-E-R-C-I-Z-E. The Bible says it's good for us to laugh. Find joy. Find humor. And the wonderful things of life. God is not against sex. Matter of fact, I just had this thought this week. Once in a while, I have a thought and I write it down and I go, DC? That was pretty good. I put this in my journal and I wrote right beside it. That's pretty good. The first sexual thought was thought by God. Think about that. That's a pretty good thought. The first sexual thought was thought by God. He created sex. He gave it to us as a wonderful gift. We just finished a beautiful, probably one of the neatest marriage retreats that we've ever done at Woodland. There's always so many things that I can't finish sharing in those retreats. But a book I'd recommend to you, The Mystery of Marriage by Mike Mason. I want to quote to you out of that book, and if you can go to that quote, I know I'm skipping ahead, but I'm running out of time. Who can equal the surprise of finding out that one thing above all others which mankind has been most enterprising and proficient and dragging through the dirt turns out, in fact, to be the most innocent thing in the world? Think about that turns out to be the most innocent thing in the world. Is there any other activity at all which an adult man and woman may engage in together apart from worship that is actually more childlike, more clean and pure, more natural and wholesome, and unequivocally right than is the act of making love? For if worship is the deepest available form of communion with God... And especially that particular act of worship known as communion, then surely sex is the deepest communion that is possible between human beings, and is something absolutely essential, in more than a biological way, to our survival. See, God is not anti-humor, or anti-sex. God gives us these things to enjoy. To delight, to have fun, to laugh. But when we coarsen them, when we cheapen them, when we make them obscene, then they make prisons for us. They lock us into darkness. And over and over, I have listened to the stories of darkness one woman told me after she confessed multiple affairs multiple relationships she said you know pastor in the dark I could hide from myself and I could hide from others sometimes I did the most vile things with people I couldn't even tell you what they looked like And she said, until I no longer wanted to live. When she asked to talk to me about these things, I wanted her to talk to my wife or to Norma, anybody but me. I don't do a lot of sexual counseling. But she said it was at Woodland for the first time that I heard what God's will for sex was. And you need to hear what I'm saying, because if you want to be light, you can't let the darkness steal God's message from us. Everything is holy and good that God created for us, when it's used as God intended it to be. And the wolf in sheep's clothing that pastors a megachurch, leading people into darkness, Will end up consuming the very people that he thinks he's trying to set free. So, how do you do that? You live a life filled with love, you carefully determine the will of God, and then you walk out of this place and you be the light. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So, live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good. And right and true what does that mean it's who we are it's who we are all things have passed away all things have become new you're a new creation you have the nature of God if you're a follower of Jesus look at the person next to you this morning and say I have the nature of God make that your confession do that right now I have the nature of God he lives in me I have the enabling power of the Holy Spirit he lives in me Now, I'm not always a perfect expression of the nature of God. Look at your neighbor and say that. I'm not always a perfect expression. And if you agree with him, say amen. Listen to all the amens this morning. I didn't get that many amens as you got. It's how we think. We think biblically. We go to the Word of God to see what God's Word says. And it's how we live. We live ethically. We don't just sit by passively, but we work out what God has worked in. And the best way to do that is to live a thankful life. Can you say amen? Stand with me and let me pray for you this morning. Jesus, I'm thankful for what you've worked into us by your grace. A new nature, a new life, And God, I get to imitate you with people who want to imitate you as well. And your love, your goodness, your mercy, and your kindness, and your compassion, your justice, your wisdom. What a wonderful life this is. So I pray that you will make me a thoughtful Christian. I don't know it all. In this final quarter of my life, Lord, I want to win and win big. Lord, I want to win. I want to spike the ball. I want to do the victory dance. Lord, I want to throw my hands up, and I want to shout out your name, Jesus, as we sang this morning. That feeling that comes from winning. And so, Lord, I ask you that you'll help me just simply be the light. Don't cover it up. Don't hide it under a bushel. As your Holy Spirit enables me to do so. Now, I'm going to ask Christians to pray quietly. But if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I know the people that were baptized this morning they've got a new nature I've seen the change in them I'm telling you they will tell you that Jesus is the greatest thing that ever happened to them and if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning would you pray this prayer with me if you're ready to you say how do I know I'm ready if you want to you're ready say Lord Jesus Jesus Thank you that in my sin you loved me. Thank you that you did not despise me. You did not reject me. But you took me just as I am. But you won't leave me like I am. You'll make a brand new creation out of me. I don't understand it all yet. But as much as I do, I give my life to you, for it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. Would you join with the band and sing with them one more song this morning?